Good morning. I'm happy to be speaking to you this morning. I'm just not happy for the reason why. We have several on our number there suffering illnesses and traveling and, of course, COVID. And uh, Brother Hutto is having his turn with COVID and is not able to be here this morning. When he contacted me Friday, I was happy to fill in, happy to have another opportunity to visit a topic that I just taught about in Vacation Bible School. You know, we just had Vacation Bible School. And the topics for the classrooms, at least, were love, joy, and peace. My topic was peace. And as we concluded the class, not the lesson, but as the class ended, I expressed my frustration that we didn't even scratch the surface, really. And so another opportunity to revisit that topic is, is great for me. Topical lessons can be difficult because generally the topics can be very broad. The topic of peace is amazingly broad when you start to study it. And today, I'll just state my objective up front is that we talk about peace in the aspect of our relationship with God. Most of all, other things will come up because that relationship, our relationship with God, has to do with everything else. But as far as the topic today of peace, that's what we'll focus on. And I think you'll find that there are many, many other lessons that could be brought on the subject. I hope it will inspire you to, to take a look at it further. We talk a lot about love. We talk a lot about joy. We don't talk as much about peace. Yet it is also a fruit of the Spirit, as Paul calls it in Galatians chapter 5. One thing we'll notice first is peace is always associated with Jesus Christ. And it occurred to me that one of the first things said about peace, and my apologies to the folks that were in Vacation Bible School class, that uh, there may be some repetition, but hopefully uh, that'll be okay with you. One of the first things I noticed was how much the Bible talks about the topic of peace. I was actually fascinated by that because I don't think I'd really ever studied peace by itself as a topic. And the Bible has a lot to say about peace, a lot to say about peace. And it uses the word quite often in the New Testament a lot because peace is associated with Jesus Christ. And in fact, it occurred to me one of the first things said about Jesus Christ had to do with peace, and we'll talk about that in a moment, because that reminded me of something earlier, that there were prophecies about Christ that had to do with peace. Up on the board, I didn't have a black slide to start with, so it's already there. If you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you have a prophecy about Christ. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I tend to say that and just like it's the end of a sentence, but each one of those is, is fascinating. We'll just take a moment to look at this. One of the first things it says about Christ, it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
I'm not sure what all that means, but it reminded me of a king, and this is a modern picture of a king, obviously. I think this is King, I think his name is Alexander, King Charles Alexander of the Netherlands. This is a nice clear picture. And it shows what I was thinking of, is someone puts a royal robe on the king's shoulder. There's gonna be weight to that. It's gonna be um, symbolic of the government he is taking on, and there's, a heavy weight to that. You're going to feel that. And, and Christ was going to be one who had governing power, the king. He'll have that weight upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. And then we get a listing of what actually turn into be uh, attributes of Jesus Christ. He will be called wonderful. Actually, some versions say wonderful counselor. I'll just start with wonderful, a word that we're familiar with. It, it, when we use it, it means something that exceeds the ordinary, something that is better than the ordinary. It has a good effect on us and things around it, or it wouldn't be called wonderful. You think about the things that you might say, oh, that's just wonderful. That's something that's affected you, something that's, that's made you happy. Or, or in some way delighted you. In the case of Jesus Christ, it's going to have a miraculous effect. He is the wonderful, if you want to say it that way. There's nothing more wonderful than the blessings that Jesus Christ affords us and our relationship with Jesus Christ affords us. And of course, peace is one of those. Whoops, I think I might have skipped one. There we go. Counselor, a wonderful counselor, one who possesses great wisdom, able to guide mankind, the counselor. Well, that's important in our relationship with Christ, in our peace that we have, because we need guidance, we need help. And that's what Christ is, the mighty God. The name of God is being applied to the Son, it's a divine title that shows all authority and strength. Our Savior is the mighty God. You can already see that these terms should bring us peace. Peace of mind. The everlasting Father. A Father who is able to bless, to take care of his children, the ideal father figure, forever, everlasting, will exist forever, and therefore we are his children forever, now and always. That's a peaceful thing. The Prince of Peace, all these attributes and all these powers we're talking about bring about peace with us in our relationship with Christ. He would reign forever endowed with peace and forever bestow peace upon his kingdom. I don't know how the Jews in that day dealt with this scripture because they didn't want a prince of peace, did they? They wanted a warrior. They wanted someone that was going to restore the earthly kingdom. They wanted a bloody battle that they were guaranteed to win. No, 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 this is the Prince of Peace. 
In Isaiah, many other times in Isaiah, it's called perfect peace, a complete peace. So we're not talking about something earthly and fleshly. This is a spiritual blessing. This is a fruit of the spirit, as Paul called it, right? Well, we'll, we'll move on. It was one of the first things said about Jesus in the New Testament. You remember in Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds abiding in the field. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, you can actually begin in verse 8. In that same region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. Well, that would be frightening. To be out in, in, in the field in that time, they may have had a fire going, I don't know, but it would have been very, very dark. They wouldn't have had the light pollution that we have today. It would have been very dark, and suddenly an angel appears. And the glory of the Lord was shining about them. Well, that would be very frightening, but the angel said to them, It's a cliffhanger. There we go. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And now this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. So we go from a scene of one angel to what must have been a most amazing scene of heavenly host. The word host meaning army, an army of angels, a multitude of angels. And what were they doing in verse 14? They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace among those whom he is well pleased. Older versions may say, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So I ask you, is there peace on earth? Did the Christ child bring peace on earth? Did Jesus accomplish that? Yes. Though we look today, we see a lot of war. We see a lot of conflict. And I actually heard a, a, a rabbi on the radio talking one time, a rabbi talking one time, and he said he knows that this Jesus Christ was not the Son of God because he did not bring peace on earth. Well, how can you misunderstand the scriptures so completely? The peace he brought on earth was peace between man and God. Peace indicates a harmonious relationship between the parties involved. Christ came to bring peace on earth. Otherwise, how could we deal with what Christ said in Matthew chapter 10? You remember when he said in verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. <laughs> well, I thought the angels had said he came to bring peace on earth. He said, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. How do we rectify those two things? If less we understand that the peace he brought was not a fleshly, worldly, earthly kingdom of peace, but a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual peace between man and God. 
I also read in John chapter 14, learned something all right in John chapter 14 in verse 25 these things I have spoken to you while I am on earth with you John, John chapter 14 before I get into that reading that chapter knowing that Jesus is speaking to his apostles it's a very poignant it's, it's, it, it's a poignant moment because they are upset they are not at peace because he's talking to them about the end and they have followed him. They have given up so much to follow Christ. And now he's talking about dying and leaving them and going places they cannot go. And you can tell they're, they're upset. They'll say, wasn't it Thomas that said, how, how, how can we go where you're going? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know? And Christ is explaining this to them very patiently, very tenderly and tender love and then when we get down to verse 25 he says these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have sent to you peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give it to you let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. That was the legacy he wanted to leave with them. Peace. And all, think about all that's about to happen right after this, not long after this. What's about to happen was not a peaceful situation, but yet he's teaching them his peace is what he's leaving with them. You'll notice he mentions the Holy Spirit. That's going to play a role in this as well. And then finally, if we look at uh, chapter 20 of John, chapter 20, we back up to verse 19, and it says in John chapter 20, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So the first thing he says to them when he reappears to them all together is peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad and they saw the Lord. And then again in verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it goes on. But again, notice the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Peace is connected to the Holy Spirit. So how can we gain the Holy Spirit today? It's through the gospel, isn't it? It's through the word. It's through the word, and the gospel brings us peace. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, we're talking about the armor that Christians are to put on. Armor shod about our feet was to be the gospel of what? The gospel of peace. I'm not sure what all that means. That's, that's an interesting visual. 
But it tells me that where a Christian walks, where they're, where they're going, and what they're standing in is the gospel of peace. Our wives are ruled by a prince of peace. An everlasting father is so described. Our peace with God in a heart that is not troubled. And so now, application. When we look at ourselves and we look at the world around us and we look at our friends and our brethren, we should be able to distinguish Christians by love. That should show by joy in the Christian's life and by peace in the life of a Christian. Now these fruits of the Spirit are things that we obtain, but they're also things that we give off, so to speak. Love and joy, and you can't leave peace out of it. So after all this talk about peace and our relationship with God, what is it then that would distract us, that would cause us not to have peace in our lives? In this day and age, a lot of people are disturbed and they don't have peace. The anxieties of life can overtake us, can't they? And that can interfere with our relationship with God and the peace that we should have with God. It's not that we just have anxiety. And, and, and we will. We see Jesus Christ had anxiety himself, didn't he? But how did he deal with it? That's the question. How did Jesus deal with his anxiety? Well, in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, how did he deal? He prayed. That's the first thing we'll notice. He prayed. He prayed fervently, and we'll also notice that he was obedient. That's how he dealt with it. He drew nearer to the Father and to his will. He didn't pull away. He drew nearer to God. And I was thinking about the song that we have, that we sing sometimes, Nearer, Still Nearer. Close to thy heart, draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. But the end of this verse, fold me, O fold me, close to thy breast, shelter me safe. Shelter me. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. Wish we had more time to expand on this idea. But this idea of rest, and you could go to numerous psalms, couldn't you, where David was troubled. And we're going to go to one in just a moment. Where David was troubled, and where did he find his rest by the end of those psalms? It was always in the Lord. Always taking shelter in the Lord, not relying upon his own strength. It seems people are seeking help everywhere, but with their everlasting father. 
I want to say that again. It seems people seek for this help. This, they're looking for an inner peace. You've heard that term, I'm sure. And they're seeking it everywhere but the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I hope that's not named among his children. Now, we may need help at times. I'm not saying that. But if our conflicts are caused by a lack of knowledge, not appealing to our everlasting Father, that, that could produce a lack of faith in us, which could produce sin in us very quickly. We're looking for solutions in the flesh, in the fleshly world that caused us the anxiety to begin with. I was reminded of a scripture in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, a little different context, but it says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. In other words, when people give you advice, you need, you need to go to a medium. You need, you need to speak with someone who talks to the dead. They chirp and they mutter. Should not the people, should not a people inquire of their God? That's what he asked. You'll go here for advice. You'll go here to hear something. What, shouldn't you inquire of your God? The God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Well, isn't that the point we see in Galatians 5? These are works of, these are fruits of the Spirit. In contrast, before that, to the flesh. Yet, we tend to go to the flesh to find our peace. I'll say it here, it may be somewhere else in the lesson, but before I forget, this idea of inner peace is a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible's talking about. We should not be seeking our peace. We should be seeking the peace of God. There's a difference. David didn't seek his own peace. We don't see songs that David wrote where he was meditating, contemplating his own inner peace. No, he's reaching out to God for strength, for peace. We have a father that is the prince of peace. And when we have turmoil and problems, and we will, let's handle it like Jesus did. Let's pray and let's be obedient to God's will. And let's trust in God. what disturbs our peace? There can be a lot of things, and there can be things that we do need help with. We can also reach out to one another, of course. But ultimately, we need to reach out to God. But I guess one of the things that really disturbs our peace, most of all, is sin. And if we're finding ourselves not at peace with God, we really need to examine why that is. 
And I'd like to quickly look at Psalm, 50, uh, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. A Psalm of David written at a time, well, we don't know exactly when he wrote this. Some people think it's another Psalm that was written after his sin with Bathsheba and, and the murder of Uriah. We don't know that. But whatever the situation is, it starts off, it's really a psalm about forgiveness. It's a psalm about peace with God, but it's very descriptive of what David went through. And I wonder if we can associate with this. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This psalm is sort of in couplets, two verses at a time, until you get to sort of the middle verse five, and that's by itself, and then it goes back to couplets. So we'll look at it a couple of verses at a time. The first verse, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That reminds me of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For those who are obedient and are in Christ. David found when he was obedient, when he was in the right relationship with God, that there was peace. This is a statement of a blessing, forgiveness. Blessed is the one, happy is the one, whose transgressions are forgiven. Sins are covered. It's as though they weren't there. But now we see the opposite of peace. And I wonder if we can relate to this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We've all probably have experienced getting too hot in the summer and how weak we become so quickly when we've overexerted ourselves in the heat. That might compare to this feeling. When I kept silent, My bones wasted away. This is the opposite of peace. This is misery. This is torture. It's someone who's remorseful. But when people sin, when we sin, what might be our tendency? We might attempt first to conceal it. That's a very natural reaction not a good one. We might try to conceal it or we might put it off. We might, we might try to just ignore it, remove it, put it far away from us. Avoid the subject. When I was teaching the vacation Bible school class, I said to the teenagers, you know, when your parents bring up that subject and you roll your eyes, that's what I'm talking about. Avoiding the subject. Oh. Parents never see that nowadays, I'm sure. But that rolling of the eyes, I don't know how you can stand it. <laughs> it's just, I had a student one time roll his eyes at me, and I, 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 I just had to really 
practice self-control. There is nothing so disrespectful, I think. But we want to avoid the subject. We might endeavor to divert our minds. Instead, we might fill our thoughts with our occupation, our jobs. We'll just get busy, and we'll just fill our minds. We can fill the day up with that, and then before you know it, it's bedtime, and then it comes back, doesn't it? That sin, and our bones waste away a little more. Or we might fill ourselves with amusement, distract ourselves with, 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 with something that amuses us, or worse of all, we continue in it. Whatever that sin is, we don't deal with it. And we just continue to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Trouble is, it's going to come back. Especially if we're Christians. And we know that we've done wrong. And the remembrance of sins will destroy us, will waste, just like David was talking about. And our minds won't find rest because we haven't dealt with it. So what did David do? Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. He didn't. He didn't try to distract himself any longer. He may have at first. But not any longer, he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I confessed my guilt. He may have endeavored to cover it up. He may have tried to suppress his conviction that he, he, he felt, but he never found relief that way. The anguish was deeper and deeper. His strength was failing. That could be literal. We've seen people involve themselves in things. If you're old enough and have lived long enough, you've probably seen people that have involved themselves in things that have actually wasted away their body. Well, whether he's speaking literally or not, his strength, was, he wasn't able to deal with it emotionally. He could no longer bear it. But he confessed his transgression to the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. There's not much in between those two statements, is there? He confessed it, and the Lord forgave him. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Verse 6 talks about a time when the Lord can't be found. I'm not exactly sure what all that's referring to, but I can understand that if we haven't been finding him, and then there's this rush of flood, of problems, of flood, of, 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 of whatever we're dealing with, with this sin or, or, or a situation, it's going to be hard to find him then. It's going to be hard. But what's interesting is verse 7. You preserve me from trouble. What better reason other than forgiveness to confess our sins because God will then preserve us from trouble. He does that through his word. If we'll read it and we obey it, it'll preserve us from this kind of trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance protection all around. Perhaps in verse 8, 
This could still be David speaking. It could be God speaking. I tend to think it's God speaking. And he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. A wonderful counselor we read earlier. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which you must be curved with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Does that describe us? I think I've mentioned this before. My mom didn't call me a mule or a horse. She called me a bull. I think I was called bullheaded more than I was called by my name. I don't know if you were familiar with the term bullheaded, but I think it's standing here. <laughs> it's someone who doesn't easily give in to the will. It, a lot of times it was something that was said to me just before a spanking to bend that will, to help me understand not to be like that, not to be like a horse or a mule that has to be curved or won't stay near you. That's not the counseling we're going to get from the Lord. He'll instruct us. He'll teach us better than that. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. David was speaking from experience, and many of us could too. When sin has entered our life, we may have tried to, to ignore it, but it wasn't until we confessed to God that our peace was restored. So the purpose of going through that was what is keeping us from having a peaceful existence? When people see us, are they seeing love and joy and peace? Are we giving off love? Are we giving off joy? And are we giving off peace to those around us? Those who confess their sins from a penitent heart, repenting, not going back to that sin, God will forgive them. Remember in 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1, where it talks about we have an advocate with the Father. He also talks about the blood of Christ washing away sins. He also talks about... Uh, that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. I don't ever use the word propitiation unless I'm talking about 1 John. But it means that Christ not only was the sacrifice, he defends us. He's our defense. I was explaining to the, to the Vacation Bible School class, Christ in our relationship with God will step in and defend us and not only defend us, say, I take the punishment. I have died. I went through that for you, for him, for her. That's a propitiation, a defender and one who takes the punishment. That's what we have. So if we don't have peace in our life, if we're always in turmoil, we're always in conflict with others, or, or we, we don't have peace with God, let's find out why that is. Because that's a sign something's wrong. And when I look around the world 
and I look at myself at times, I can see problems. We're not in, we're not in the right relationship with God. We need to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. These are the characteristics of Christians. Love, joy, peace. Of course, Galatians 5 goes on to talk about more fruits of the Spirit. But they are things that should be found and observable in us. Not necessarily things people need to dig deep to find out. They should be observable in us. And we can't leave out peace from that list. We may not think about it as often as, as love and joy and other topics like faith. But peace is listed also. Peace is talked about a lot in the New Testament. And I'm sure many of you have already thought about this. Philippians 4 and, and verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Does that describe me? Does that describe you? Do not be anxious about anything. How? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not my peace, the peace of God. That's what we need to be seeking. Inner peace will only come if we accept the fruit of the Spirit in our relationship with God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It surpasses all understanding. That means it's a really broad topic. Something worth contemplating, something worth reading about, isn't it? It's not our peace, it's a gift from God, and we need to accept it and trust in God and be patient and live in peace. Peace with others? Yes, absolutely. We didn't talk about that so much. But something tells me that if I'm in the right relationship with God and that peaceful existence with God, the problems I might have with other people will be handled correctly. Peace will be restored if it's been disrupted. And peace in my life, that inner peace will exist because of my peace with God. Well, as you can see, it's a big topic. And I hope that, if nothing else, it'll make you think about it a little bit more, about our peace with God. But one thing for sure, if we're in a sinful relationship with God, if, if, if sin is marring our relationship with God, we may be distracting ourselves we may not be thinking, we may be fooling others. We may, worst of all, fooling ourselves. But at some point, you're going to lay your head on your pillow at night, and it's going to occur to you. Maybe when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's going to occur to you. There's something wrong. I need to confess my sins to God. I need to be obedient. If you've never been obedient, if you've never obeyed the gospel, this peace is not available to you. You're not at peace with God, and if you're able to understand what the gospel is teaching about obedience, being baptized, as Christ himself said, then you too can have this peaceful existence with God. If you've done something that you need to confess publicly, 
This would be a good time to do it. And it will restore your peace to God because as we saw with David, immediately his iniquities were forgiven. Just like that. And I was thinking along the lines also, it occurs to me, about the, the, the prodigal son when he rose up and says, I have sinned. I, he confessed his sin and he went back to his father. The father ran to greet him. His father wanted him back. And they embraced. And how long did it take that father to forgive his son? No time. It's immediate. So if for any reason today we can help you restore the right relationship with God, please respond to this invitation as we sing.